Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to Scott, a very special CTO within the Deloitte ecosystem. And in that huge influential organisation, he explores the razor sharp cutting edge of science and engineering to see how it can serve businesses. In this podcast, it's a fascinating discussion with lots of new perspectives, for me at least. I hope you find some too. We discuss many topics like quantum computing, blockchain and the art of storytelling and the importance it has in a leader's toolbox. So let's not delay. Let's get Scott into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Scott. Welcome to CTO Confessions podcast. So, Scott, welcome to CTO Confessions. It's great to have you on board, sir. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. What do you do and who do you work for? I work for Deloitte Consulting and have actually now for more than two decades. These days, I have a couple of different roles within Deloitte. So I am the chief technology officer for our government and public services practice. In that regard, my job is to help our clients, help our teams, help our people envision where the future is going in terms of technology. Uh, I lead our efforts in quantum computing, both in the US and globally, as we're trying to figure out and help our clients try to figure out what does quantum computing mean for them? Uh, what do they need to be thinking about? How to think about it? How to get ready? I've been leading our tech trends research for a number of years as well. And that's really where we are trying to look just over the horizon at what might be new and next in enterprise technology. So those are just a handful of the things I do. Fantastic. It sounds great. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper into that very shortly. But before we kind of jump in there, uh, just for the audience's uh, um, information, what does Deloitte do? I mean, I, you know, I've heard of Deloitte. I know what Deloitte is, but what do Deloitte do? What's the problem that they're solving in the market? Deloitte is actually the world's largest professional services firm. We have something north of 350,000 employees globally. A lot of what we actually do is consulting. Uh, a lot of that is technology consulting and technology implementations. So you can think of us as a large system implementer and integrator who also does management consulting. And then obviously <clears throat> we have a number of other practices as well around audits, financial audits, uh, tax advisory support, cybersecurity, you name it, we tend to do it. Brilliant. It sounds like a one-stop shop for the lot, you know, as they say. Uh, we like to think so, yes. <laughs> That's great. So putting the spotlight back on you, Scott, okay, I'm really interested in uh, our tech leaders' passions, okay? So I'm interested in what's your passion? What's that thing that makes you jump out of bed in the morning and go, do you know what, I've got this? I think the best days when I get out of bed in the morning is when I get to have uh, conversations about what's new and what's next with leaders like yourself, um, leaders from other large organizations around technology, Basically, what are they seeing? What are they doing? What are we seeing? What are we thinking? That set of conversations is really fun. Fantastic. 
So we kind of spoke very shortly offline around this. I, I can imagine this is a really challenging job because living in this innovation storm that we kind of seems to be ex ever accelerating, you know, and lots of going in lots of different directions. How do you kind of put it all together? How do you know where the trends are? How do you do that? We have a couple different ways we do it here at Deloitte. Um, one of them is actually we have, we loosely call it our macro forces, but you can think about it as our taxonomy of emerging technology. The reason we put it together was because uh, we've actually been doing our tech trends report every year for the past 13 years. And if you had looked back at the very beginning, you would have seen a collection of shiny objects. What wound up happening was we started seeing trends in those things. Right. And then we started figuring out, oh, there are patterns. And then we started figuring out, oh, wait, these patterns actually have longevity. They're interesting because they mix together. Um, they cross-pollinate, they advance in their own directions, and it actually makes it easier to try to figure out where things are going. Wow. Not that it's easy, and you know there are many creative humans always coming up with new stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of mentioned something interesting there, because it's not just about the individual new technologies coming out, it's the synergy between a number of different technologies as they come together and they create more something more than the sum of their parts, you know, kind of thing. Absolutely. I mean, one of the ones this year was we were looking at the intersection of cybersecurity and artificial intelligence right? and looking at uh, organizations that are increasingly thinking about how do we take uh, the best of what AI can do? If you think about the way cybersecurity typically works today, a whole bunch of information is fed to a small number of humans who are trying to make real-time decisions, which is really hard. Hmm. What people are instead doing is feeding that same information up to AI letting the AI make the decision quickly about whether or not Scott should be allowed to log in from Bulgaria at 3 a.m. or not. Right. And, you know, then informing the human of the decision that was made. And uh -huh. so, you know, you're sort of looking at people saying, OK, we've got an impossible situation. We've got a really hard problem. How do we put the pieces together in a different way? Yeah, yeah, I love this. It's very much uh, the augmenting the human decision making it's not taking over it it's kind of uh, supporting it or or showing you patterns that might not be seen at first and go ah, you might want to check this out over here you know there's something something odd and, and do you see the um i remember when i was doing my electronics degree at university of warwick and i did a very early days projects on ai has ai evolved enough that it's actually becoming a staple use within organizations now I think it's been on that journey for a number of years. People increasingly, well, what I tell people is think about AI this way sometimes. You're trying to embed human discernment and judgment into technology as opposed to embedding rules in the technology. And you can envision there are a bunch of different situations where it turns out that that's an interesting thing to do um, because it helps accelerate things. It takes, to your point, um, low value and repetitive decisions out of people's hands where the answer is pretty obvious. And the best systems, what they actually do is they manage all the routine work on behalf of the humans and leave the interesting stuff for their human counterparts who are actually having to engage their brains. So if you mentioned AI, I mean, what other technologies are really going to make big differences to the market? Well, in addition to quantum computing that I'm always happen, happy to talk about longer than most people are willing to listen, um, <laughs> I actually think one of the most important, least utilized pieces of technology evolution that we've seen is actually automation within IT. 
Mm. If you actually think, if you can think back for those of us old enough to remember what IT looked like 30 years ago, sometimes say there was an army of people sitting in a room, you know, watching lights on screens and when things went red, pounding furiously away on keyboards. And if you look at most of those same organizations today, there's an army of people in a room staring at screens, right? Doing the same thing. Mm. The interesting thing is if you look at what the cloud providers and the SaaS providers and the digital natives have taught us, it's that they didn't say, how do we scale physical humans to manage IT? They said, how do we use automation and virtualization and consistency and other things to scale the power of the human? And they actually took a different approach. And so as opposed to the having armies of humans, what they have is fleets of automation supported by handfuls of engineers. Mm. It's really more the, the sort of special forces approach as opposed to throwing the army at the problem. <laughs> and given the need of everybody in the world for more IT talent, I've never quite understood why more organizations aren't running as quickly as they can in that direction because that's clearly where the future is going. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So you kind of mentioned about quantum computers and you're saying that people don't want to say, I'm all ears, okay? I'm really interested in <laughs> in uh, in where this is going because you hear a lot about it. I, I remember uh, when I was doing some of my kind of semiconductor work during my electronics degree and kind of quantum mechanics and you know this, this beautiful arm of, of, of science and, it, and it's mind boggling. Is it starting to become something that we're going to use practically and companies are going to be able to use this? I mean, how far are we along that track? Well, first, uh, maybe let's think about how do we think about what a quantum computer represents? A, a quantum computer today, as it stands, is essentially a super duper calculator. And what it's doing is it's using physics and quantum mechanics to solve problems. Our traditional computers, everything that we use today, how you all are listening to this broadcast and everything else, is just doing math really quickly under the covers. Um, using physics, though, is a little bit maybe more like thinking about a soap bubble and soap film. If you think about soap film, if you build a structure and you blow soap film into it, the film will always conform to a particular shape. Mm. And that shape is uh, dictated by physics. And a lot of the way quantum computers work is similar. And we can talk about all of the fascinating aspects of it and everything else. What I find, though, is that more valuable than how it works is what sorts of things you can do with these new tools. And if you think about it today, the best that, that we know fall into three or four broad categories. Um, the first category is uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. So there's some evidence that by using these physics and physical principles in certain ways, we may be able to train models faster and have better predictive power. It's optimization and um, basically different aspects of optimization. And there, it's basically how do we get to the best answer more quickly? Mm. And the last is this idea of chemistry and material science. So originally, quantum computers were postulated because <clears throat> you can probably simulate atoms better with other atoms than you can with math. Hmm. And so people are trying to figure out what is the limit of what we can do there. Um, there's a sort of adjacent space that I think everybody's excited about, which is about cybersecurity. So they're in a little bit of the optimization and data analytics realm. We also have the possibility at some point in the next decade 
to get around a lot of the security protocols we use today. Good news, that's a future problem, but it's also rapidly evolving. But anyway, I like to focus on the fun part. So mm. machine learning, chemistry, material science, optimization, and so forth. So that's sort of a little bit of what it is, a little bit of where you apply it. And then I think the last question is, where are we today? The short answer is that we are starting to see quantum advantage. So we are starting to see that quantum computers can calculate better answers more quickly in some narrow cases. Um, there are some aspects of preparing for machine learning where it turns out that using a quantum computer today gets you better answers than our best classical techniques. It wow. turns out that for some routing and logistics and optimization problems, that same thing is true. And there are probably other problems in adjacent domains that are also better answered today. By the same token, you know, a lot of these machines are a lot like the technology of the 60s. Mm. They're big, they're finicky, um, they work, but not quite the way we want them to just yet. And over the next couple of years, three to five years, depending on whose roadmap you believe, wow. that should change fairly dramatically. And life gets much more interesting when we get there. Yeah, fantastic. That's, that's a really good description, actually. It's almost like listening to a Richard Feynman lecture, the ability to kind of explain it in a way that's understandable to, to most people. And, and I love the fact that you kind of focus on what we can do with it as opposed to what is actually going on down at the kind of gubbins of it. Because I guess people think that quantum computing is around PCs, you know, uh, and what have you at the moment. They've got that mindset. That's what it's about. But it's not quite that yet. It's not there yet. That's right. And it, in fact, it may never be the right technology for your PC. Yeah. Um, there are more than half a dozen different approaches people are looking at to try to figure out how to build a quantum computer. All of them have passionate advocates. All of them have passionate detractors. Hmm. I um, sometimes tell people when I get asked which one's going to win, it's a little bit like, well, if I knew that, you and I would not be having this conversation because I would be retired on an island somewhere. But, <laughs> you know, the I think the larger point is there's so much innovation, there's so much energy, um, there are so many smart people focused on figuring this out that... I tend to believe it is a matter of time. Mm. And then the real question is going to be, we have these new um, servers, let's call them servers for lack of a better term. What is the limit of what we can do with them? Mm. If you think about current technology, we've had 60 years to get really great at the technology we have. It does amazing stuff. It turns out to be really hard to do better than what the smartest people have been able to do over the past 60 years. Mm. That's why the bar for quantum computers is high. The funny thing, though, is as well, if you think about it, very few people could envision what digital technology could do before we got here. Right. People had trouble envisioning what the Internet could do before we built it. It turns out that it's not quite clear what we're going to be able to do with all of this technology. Um, you know, all of us are exercising our imaginations, and yet our imaginations are still pretty constrained, I suspect, by the things that we can see in front of us. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to when we exceed that that current 
imagination boundary. Yeah, I love it. I, I guess what you're doing is you're creating the, the conditions for something to emerge out of it. We don't know quite what that is. You know, uh, I love, you know, being in the business agility space, which is a, a totally different type of paradigm. But you create the conditions and something will emerge. We just don't know what yet. You know, watch this space. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So that's brilliant. And um, and and I've also got a question around. So you've got these great technologies and I'm really interested mm-hmm. in how yourself uh, within Deloitte um, you've got clients and, and you've got all these different technologies. I mean, what's the kind of mechanism? What happens here? Do do clients come to you and say, we've got this problem. How would you solve it? Uh, or is it a case of uh, we really don't, we're just looking for the next best thing that's going to help us. Can you help us kind of thing? How does that work? It's a little bit of all the different things. A lot of times what I get asked to do is help open people's minds and imaginations just to get started. So oh. You know, most of us spend most of our time staring at the next thing that's in front of us. It's really easy to get caught up in the day-to-day and the tactical. A lot of times what what some of my colleagues and I get asked to do is come in and say, hey, let's take the blinders off. Let's look out a year or two or three. Let's try to understand where things are going. And then let's rethink, is the set of things we're doing today, does it still make sense given where the world is likely to be in a couple of years. Right. Then I get asked, okay, well, you know, we've decided to go left, not right. How do we go left, right? Or how hard do we turn and those sorts of <laughs> things. And so the spectrum starts with inspiring and ends with um, trying to provide helpful directions and, and help people understand how maybe to get to the future a little bit faster, a little bit easier. Yeah, I love it. So my next question is, being CTO Confessions, I feel I want to bring a confession into the space, if we can, if we can. Are there any technologies that you saw that were shiny? They were, they were like, my God, this is going to make the biggest difference ever. And it didn't quite make it. And, and were there kind of any pivots that were required? I, I sometimes ironically have the opposite problem, which is I tend to be a little bit more cynical about right. things. <laughs> and... Uh, it it comes with many years of hard-won experience. It comes with many years of listening to marketing presentations and other things. Right. I suspect uh, where a number of my colleagues have problems being a little bit more optimistic about the future, I think, candidly, sometimes I'm a little bit less optimistic than I should be. Um, what would probably be a good example? Um, I was probably more skeptical about things like machine learning back in the day than I probably should have been, mm. in part because it was um, n- maybe a little too much knowledge. So I remember working on neural networks to do char- optical character recognition cool. 30 years ago. And when you try to project that to something useful, um, there were so many years of progress in between that I hadn't seen that I probably dramatically underestimated the art of the possible. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. By the act of being in, working on that technology, you kind of block yourself, you know, yet you go down a dead end alley and you don't see kind of past it. But that's really interesting there, how uh, first perceptions are not always the right ones. You've got to kind of stick with it and allow people to get their magic and creativity into the space. I was going to ask you around blockchain because uh, that's something that's been bandied around for a while. That was a technology that was the, the in thing, you know, and maybe it's still the in thing, you know, in some respects. What's your kind of thoughts on that? I remember years ago watching a number of our blockchain practitioners explain blockchain to clients and others. And I remember 
And this was one of my great lessons. Watching them, they would always start by saying, let's talk about how we do distributed ledger protocols, how, how all of this stuff works under the covers, because it's fascinating to us. <laughs> and it turns out that most humans have a really hard time recognizing use cases from first principles. Mm. And that's part of the reason why I try to make a point when I'm talking about quantum computing, not to talk about superposition and entanglement. And when I'm talking about blockchain, not to talk about distributed protocols, but simply to say, imagine for the sake of argument that you had a database that allowed you to do business process re-engineering across organizational boundaries. Mm. If such a technology existed, what would you do with it? How would you know where to go look for good problems? Well, you would go look for problems that are valuable or important, that are slow, that involve email and faxes and phone calls and other things. And you would re-engineer and automate those processes. And if you look, interestingly, um, cyber or cryptocurrency happens to be an example of a re-engineered process wow. on some level. Yeah. If you look at all of the other use cases for blockchain, they also tend to be that too, whether it's the food safety examples, whether it's um, the certification proof examples and other sorts of things. We're really talking about automation. And if you step, I would submit, Scott's opinion, <laughs> right? Yeah. This and five bucks will buy you a cup of coffee. <laughs> but if you step way back from Web3 and squint for a moment, what you see is people trying to automate and re-engineer a bunch of processes. And what they're really trying to do is in the name of moving profits around the value chain, mm. which is what disruptive technologies have done for hundreds of years. And so to me, what we have is an enabling piece of technology on some level about as exciting as your average relational database. And the real question becomes, what can we use it for? And maybe what sorts of value profit transfer can we do that are interesting and unusual based on now having a new set of tools? As a fellow social engineer, I'll also point one other thing out. People then say, well, why isn't this getting used? And the answer is, think about how hard it is to get your organization to make any change. Now imagine trying to get a dozen organizations to make the same change at the same time. And there is your adoption issue. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. That's fascinating. And, and I'm, I'm kind of observing you, Scott. I, I love the way, I love the way you describe stuff and, and bring it over. And, you know, as a tech leader, I think this is really important because some of these concepts and tools that we use are very abstract and, and they, and we can get really down into the kind of like, this is how it works. I, I love what you mentioned a second ago is about, let's not worry about how it works. Worse. What can we do with it? You know? Mm -hmm. So this is kind of an element of storytelling. You know, you're kind of telling a story. You're allowing it to be receptive and to kind of envision, envision what, how we can use this. Um, um, how important do you think the, the art of storytelling is for tech leaders? I think storytelling is an incredibly valuable skill. And it, if for many different reasons, not the least of which being humans are set up to hear stories, listen to stories, tell stories, share stories. And frankly, it's way more interesting to listen to a story than it is to listen to, um, I don't know, 
some you know technical mumbo jumbo about the latest whiz bang feature that you get to through the alt magic swizzle stick combination on the keyboard or whatever right mm. it really becomes what is what i can do with this because if you one of the things that i get to do is try to help other people imagine themselves in situations they're not in today whether they're in it and technology whether they're in the business or the mission how do you think how do you relate to these things and so whether it's analogies metaphors other people's stories and one of the great things about my job is i get to go hear other people's stories and then share them liberally yeah um and other sorts of things these are really the mechanisms that all of us as humans use to understand the world and we make it so much easier on ourselves and one another when we treat one another like fellow humans as opposed to like fellow robots yeah absolutely and again speak to that social system that's what social systems want they want stories mm -hmm. they want to be and and i guess if you get too deep into the details of stuff the kind of uh, the tech the into the weeds it's hard for people to join the dots and create that synergy whereas a story it kind of creates that possibility of how this story there could relate to this story here and and kind of create that synergy mm -hmm. yeah, i love that that's brilliant and it's also too, if I tell you that AI is replicating human judgment and discernment, then you can envision, oh, I have cases where I have a bunch of humans applying their brains, but we're not really using their brains. I can then give you examples. Here's an example with nurses. Here's an example with mortgages. Here's an example in a different industry. Mm. We can look then across these industries and people can start saying, oh, oh, that that direct marketing example where the technology is picking really quickly what is the next product you should be offered our problem is like that one mm. i really want my you know, customer service agent to know the next thing to recommend you i really want to know um, what's likely to happen next is my machine likely to fail are there cases where people are doing that you can uh, get inspired from examples like people using microphones and ai to tell whether or not shrimp are hungry <laughs> and that Ooh. actually turns out to be a really interesting problem because it saves you on food it yeah. is better for the environment to only feed them when they're hungry they make special noises when they're hungry wow. they make different noises at other times in the life cycle so you can optimize shrimp production with a microphone and a computer who knew yeah brilliant i love it so scott with this universe of possibilities, new technology and creativity happening, how do you help your clients then? That's actually the fun part of what we get to do because what winds up happening is clients come to us and we get to sit down with them and talk through what are your biggest challenges today? What are the things that are top of mind that need to be solved? Is it a personnel problem? Do we need a little bit more social engineering? Is it a speed problem? Maybe there's a little too much technical debt and we need to figure out how to reduce that so that we can go faster. Maybe it's a new capability. We think we need AI, but we're not really sure where. Mm. Or sometimes it's a, we know we need AI. We know we need it here, but we don't know how to do it. Can you help us figure out how to get from where we are to where we want to go? The wonderful thing about Deloitte, the wonderful thing I have found over the years about consulting is that it doesn't matter whether we're starting with the strategy and the vision and the roadmap, 
or whether we're doing the implementation with the fingers on the keyboard down in the bowels of the system, you know, twiddling the bits and flipping things around, we have the ability to do all of those things. My job is to make sure that we're not just doing them in a routine, repetitive fashion, but actually that we're injecting the things that we're seeing, the new stuff, the stuff that's over the horizon into that. Part of the idea being, let's make sure that what we're doing is future-proofed, not just for today, but also for the future that we see coming. Fantastic, that's great. Wrapping experts and engineers around the problem that people want solving. Love it. Exactly. Love it. Being an engineer myself, I can I can feel the, the kind of excitement and, and possibilities you have within your teams. That's brilliant. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to turn the spotlight back onto you, Scott, okay, as a tech leader. Um, as you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, uh, you're a different type of CTO. You're in, mm -hmm. in, in the kind of classical sense. So kind of speak to that. I mean, what kind of CTO are you then, as opposed to the classical type? Well, my job is not managing our servers and our phones and the other infrastructure, but in fact, helping others understand where technology is going and then helping inspire others to get there, whether they are clients or teams or people in the world or partners or what have you. Mm. And I think that in many ways, that's an important job because what it means is helping others, influencing others to move in the right direction. And that includes our own terms, teams internally as often or sometimes wow. even more often that it includes people outside the organization. Wow, you're an influencer. You're a... uh, yeah, before <laughs> that was a popular term. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's not it's not that kind of influencer. So um, I'm really curious as, as in, the, in that in that CTO space that you're in, this kind of this slightly different to the usual kind of tech leaders that we get. Um, um, how do you roll as a leader? I mean, you kind of talk about, you know, uh, inspiring people and, and, and selling the story and, and letting people know, make them aware. I mean, how do you roll? What's what's your style? Is it is it just talking to people or is it going to do big keynote speeches? I try to do what's necessary and not be too persnickety or particular about it. Uh, a lot of my job is really to influence others. Um, there are a certain number of things I control. I can pretend oftentimes that I control more than I do. Some people fall for my ruse and then we all go along together merrily. I, I work though in a very matrixed organization. And as a result, I've spent many years honing my ability to speak with authority, to clearly articulate a vision of the future and to help others see that the path to get there might not be as painful or as complicated as they might think it is without some level of explanation. And that combination of things plus a bunch of others generally helps everybody move in the right direction at speed. And so I think everybody needs a little bit more inspiration and influence in their life. I think I think you're right. I, th I think it is that that's an important, very important role because it lifts people. It kind of raises people to to want to align, to move in the direction of. So I totally agree with you on there. So on that note, then, uh, Scott, I'm really interested in your journey up until here. How have you become this type of tech leader, this kind of CTO? Is it been a very meandering? Is it been very have you engineered to get into this position? I like to refer to it as a random walk. <laughs> <laughs> I what I what I tell people occasionally when when I get asked is, look, my journey uh, as a computer scientist started when I was seven or eight, 
and I wanted an Atari video game console. And my father consoled me with a Fortran manual and an account on the Vax mainframe and wow. told me I could write my own games, which went about as well as you probably would have expected at the time. But uh, one could play the stock market and become a guaranteed millionaire if one had the right strategy on my on my mainframe game. But what wound up happening was I spent many years fascinated and curious about computer technology, having started with games and moving into other things. I graduated from college and spent a number of years uh, working as a developer and an architect and a team lead at a startup in France. I then went and did some, started doing consulting because I realized I liked people more than I liked staring at my screen all day. Cool and fell into management consulting and technology consulting in Deloitte 20 some odd years ago. And I think that part of the reason I'm still here is because I've had different jobs and different roles every couple of years. And that wound up being really convenient for me um, because it means that I could have different jobs in the same organization without having to change. Uh, and each of those different roles taught me a bunch of different things less and less over time about technology and more and more over time about helping others actually get to the right place. Right. Yeah. I love it. That's great. It's a beautiful meandering journey, a walk. Oh, yes. So I've got a question here around creating teams, powerhouses of creativity and customer-centric productivity. So it's about making sure that we're delivering and solving the problem for the customer. And you've got many customers. Um, um, I, I guess there's, a, there's an aspect of your leadership, which is uh, making sure that people are having communicating the right stuff, um, uh, aligning to the common goal. Are there any tips for tech leaders out there that you you kind of use or have seen work really well? Well, make no mistake, I also have to run teams and run projects and other things. Uh, sadly, just being a really great guy to talk to doesn't excuse me from all of that too. <laughs> right. What I find is that what's really important is diversity of thought. Yeah. I know it sounds a little bit like a truism or it can. The, the reality though is um, I love big ideas. I love talking about new stuff. I don't always love sweating the details, although I can when I need to. I've found that I work best when I find somebody who's not quite my opposite, but pretty close with whom I can work well, who is really concerned about the details, who thinks I'm a little crazy and is willing to help translate that into English for the rest of the world, who really cares about getting stuff done. Mm. Because when I find the way to give them and empower them to do what they need to do, that we actually work better. Yeah. And being really aware of the spaces where I'm strong and the spaces where I'm not relatively as strong and other people are stronger makes it very easy for me to say, um, Esther, I'd really like you to go talk to this person because I know you have a better relationship with them. Yeah. Alan, I'd really like you to go talk to this team because you will inspire them more given the way you show up. Mm -hmm. On, I really want you to, and so on and so forth. I believe that in order for the team, the whole, to be greater than the sum of the parts, that what we really need is enough different points of view, different strengths, different things that we put together matched with a common goal and a common cause that you actually start to see really great things happen. Yeah, that's, that's great. I love it. 
Um, and, and also uh, in this kind of remote world, you know, you, you know you're leading tech and you, you kind of making sure things are going in the right direction. This kind of remote world, I mean, what's your kind of thoughts on that? Because this is in the space and companies are finding their right balance now. They're rebalancing around this. I think I don't know the right answer yet. Um, I'm <laughs> yeah, not, <good> answer. <laughs> I, I, well, in fact, I know I don't know the right answer yet because what I'm observing is those of us who've been around a while, who've been part of organizations for a long time are very comfortable working virtually. Those who are new to the organization, those who are newer in the world of work and other things often need a different level of guidance, a different level of interaction. Some people just need more interaction naturally. The only thing I'm certain of is that we haven't found the right answer yet. Mm. Um, and I do think the great thing is that there are millions of experiments going on. I hope that the future is not 27 inch rectangles where we're all talking to one another in little boxes. I hope that the future is better than that, mm. but I really don't know how to yes. get there quite yet. Absolutely. I agree with you. I, I, I miss that interaction around the whiteboard, those reading people's body language, the energy in the room, giving to the room, receiving from the room. Um, so I think, the, uh, you know, it's a hybrid. And it's interesting when you speak to different people where it's really working well. Uh, but may, maybe uh, working in situ, again, will become the cutting edge of technologies. Every company is looking for cutting edges. And maybe that's what it will be, is that kind of what, what, uh, what brings about the gr uh, best innovations and collaboration. Um, I've got a question here around uh, organizational growth, okay? Because obviously the work that you do is around ultimately creating solutions for customers and growth. Any foundations for growth that you spot within your kind of clients and or within Deloitte that you feel that should really be in place, those foundational bricks and blocks? <clears throat> What's interesting is when I joined Deloitte, we were actually the smallest of the big eight. So we have gone over 20 some odd years from the smallest of the big eight to the largest of the big four. What I've also fallen into a number of times is a number of other startup areas within Deloitte. I joined our federal government practice when it was starting at 30 people and it is now more than 10,000. Oh. I'm now part of the quantum computing practice and hopefully we're going to do that same thing. I think, though, that the thing that we find or I've seen consistently be important is some degree of commonality of vision and purpose, because starting things is really hard. And without some level of clarity about vision and purpose, it becomes very difficult to prioritize appropriately. Mm -hmm. And the thing that kills uh, startups a lot of times is the inability to prioritize either everything is important and therefore nothing is important <laughs> or the wrong things are important. And then you wind up finding yourself way far down a road that it was the wrong road in the first place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it's agility and business agility or other sorts of things, a lot of these techniques and you know, methodologies and other things are really trying to help organizations think about how do I define where I'm going? How do I do that in a way that is negotiable over time if the destination needs to change? How do I make sure that we're all on the same page about it mm -hmm. so that we can move approximately in the same direction at speed yeah. as opposed to what otherwise happens, which is everybody goes in every direction and then we wind up with chaos. <laughs> that's right. I think that's a really good tip. 
yeah, thank you for that. I think yeah, prioritization and alignment of that, you know, what we're working on is 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 a is something that uh, at the team level I know I work on a lot, so that we you know we are working on the right stuff. So that's brilliant. So Scott, as we come to the closing arc of our time together, unfortunately, I've got some really nice warm questions to ask you. Any tips to aspiring tech leaders that are listening to this podcast out there? What advice would you give them? I think what's really important is picking the right role models. If you look around you in the organization you're in, if you look around you at the conferences you attend or the books you read or whatever, what you are likely to find is people who do things dramatically better than you do. I don't care how good you are at what you do, the chances of you being the best in the world at that thing are quite low. Mm. Thinking about how does that person do that thing? And in many cases, what's even more important is what is the thought process that gets that person to this answer? If you can figure out how not to adopt, ju not just to adopt the habits, but also to adopt the mindset of people who are more successful than you are mm. in areas you aspire to be successful in, that's the thing that will accelerate your career, your life, and lots of other things besides. Yeah, I love it. That's, that's really good advice. Brilliant advice for you tech leaders out there that are kind of on your journey. Any books or films or anything else that's that's been quite instrumental in your journey, Scott? I, it's funny, I used to keep a list of books I would recommend to people and I tend to recommend them depending on the person. Mm. For people who are starting in consulting and professional services, managing the professional services firm by David Meister right. explains all of the dynamics that you see going on around you. So when I started in consulting, that was instrumental in knowing what to do and how to think about it. Um, if I think about, I mean, there are classic books in, in IT, like The Mythical Man Month and other things that remind us that silver bullets are not really a thing mm. and complexity um, is, is hard to manage through. Um, and then, you know, there are probably a whole other set of books that I recommend to people about making sure that they're taking care of themselves. Um, one of them, I think it's Eat, Sleep, Move, for example, that I've recommended to people over the oh. years where you know you fall out of the habit of taking care of yourself and the, sometimes there are good reminders. I've not read that one myself. It sounds really interesting. It reminds me of a, of a famous film of, of a very similar name. And I'll add it to my Himalayan book mountain of books to read, you know? <laughs> um, Sadly, I have those too. So I'm going to pretend to be a tech genie for a second, okay? I'm going to offer you a tech wish, something that you wish for the environment that you work for, the industry you work in, or even your organization, or humanity in general. What would you wish for from the tech genie? Is the tech genie completely unbounded? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to I'll put it right out there for you. Uh, so I can wish for a perpetual motion machine? <laughs> if you want. <laughs> Mostly because my father's a physicist and that would just annoy him to no end. Um, I, you know, a more prosaic wish. Um, I, I sometimes wish that we could find a way to um, make technology more democratic. And I don't quite know how. Uh, I think, though, that what winds up happening, sometimes we're in danger of, is because the mechanics of what we do winds up being overly complex and overly complicated and overly fascinating, that we wind up in a world where it feels hard to get at. 
Mm. And I think we would collectively be better served by having a world where uh, my daughter was less averse to learning computer science. And maybe that means that computer science is not the answer, uh, but making technology easier for everybody is. Yes. So I'm not sure how we're either going to build the perpetual motion machine <laughs> or democratize technology in the way that I wish we could. But I think that you know, both are great goals to aspire to. Fantastic. Great wishes. Great wishes. And on the perpetual machine, I knocked one up last week. So I'll be oh, sending it to you in the post. <laughs> I look forward to it. What a bit of fun. Sounds brilliant. So as we come towards the full stop of the podcast, Scott, what's your final key takeaway that you'd like to give to the tech leaders out there listening to this podcast? I think one of the really important things to remember is you are not alone. A lot of tech leaders seem to be very comforted in knowing that everybody else has almost exactly the same problems they do. Mm. That they wake up in the morning worried about materially similar things. And I see this time and time and time again when I see tech leaders put together. I believe, therefore, that what we should continue to do is be curious, curious about the state of others, curious about what's going on in our world, curious about things outside IT. And I think that we need to remember we can always phone a friend. Yes. I'm biased, right? I think Deloitte's research is wonderful. And it's not the only publicly available research out there. It's just the best. But if you want, you, there are so many different ways to educate yourself, to satisfy your curiosity today, mm -hmm. that I would encourage people to make sure they're making time uh, to be able to stretch your minds and learn something new not just stay stuck in the rut that you were in yesterday and the day before. Brilliant. A great note to finish on, Scott. Thank you for your time. It's been fascinating listening to you. And I wish you and Deloitte and your teams the best in your endeavors in this fantastic new technology systems that you're working with. Thanks. This has been fun. Well, didn't I tell you that was going to be a great podcast? Great discussion. I'm looking forward to listening to it again because there were so many good takeaways there. I love the way Scott explains things. It's no wonder he has the job that he has. He's artful in the way he helps people find the right perspective they need to engage in the topics at hand. A great storyteller, as was mentioned in the podcast. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about you and your team's projects and successes, Scott. Sending you all a quantum field of success. I'm not sure if that statement makes any sense, but it felt cool to say it, so I'm going with it. Anyway... Thank you for your time, Scott. It was great having you on CTO Confessions. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.